Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Um, Guys, the last number of weeks, we've been working through the scriptures in regards to this phrase, one another. I'm not sure if you've noticed when you're reading your Bible, but uh, this this language of one another uh, continues to pop up quite a bit. And it pops up quite a bit for something that I thought was just going to be a relationship between me and Jesus. But it turns out... Uh, spoiler alert, God's actually really concerned about our interactions with other people. And uh, I would like to suggest to you this morning um, that it's, it's more than just a personal relationship with Jesus. That's important, right? We all are advocates of having a personal, intimate relationship with God. Um, it's critical to the Christian expression, but... Uh, I think scripture emphasizes very clearly our relationship and our need for one another. Um, And in order to do that, we can't neglect community. And so I wrote this down this morning that our individualistic, self-sustaining, and isolated expressions of Christianity must be exchanged for dependence sustained within the context of biblical community. I realize that was kind of a mouthful, but I, I... one of the things that I've really come to kind of realize in the last number of weeks as we've been studying the scriptures, as I've been thinking about my past experiences in church and just uh, my life as a Christian so far these last 16 years, is a, there's been a lot of like self, uh, self, uh, self-sustainment that I've encountered within the context of the church. There's a lot of individualistic pursuits that I've encountered uh, amongst myself and amongst other people. And when I'm reading the scriptures, I see none of those things as particularly healthy or even biblical, if we're being honest. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we jumped into the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to revisit these verses, these scriptures, because I, I believe the context of what we're talking about is so important Um, And I don't want us to lose sight of this. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we, we read this. It says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see this day approaching. And we read in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, This is where we were two weeks ago, I believe. Uh, The author here says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Both passages here highlight the necessity of gathering together consistently. Uh, The scripture there in Hebrews chapter 3 would even go to say, daily exhort one another. And so we see see this uh, charge here, this command for us to intentionally gather together to exhort one another. This is different 
than a pastor just teaching you something. This isn't talking about make sure that you guys go to church every week, which is often what that uh, passage in uh, that passage in Hebrews chapter 10 is often relayed as. We, we read it and we kind of think, oh, well, we're just supposed to make sure that we're in church every week. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. And I definitely believe there's a formal context to that and that that's 100% true. But beyond that, we see the intentional gathering of the saints of God for the purpose of exhortation. And so this is different than just a pastor with a microphone teaching you something. Uh, exhortation, I, I think, is uh, better defined about... Uh, wow. I, I wrote this down. I believe exhortation is best defined as encouragement or to encourage people to practice what they've already been taught. Does that make sense? You might know something, but just because you know it doesn't mean you do it. Have you guys, you guys know, like for me, I know that I should eat more fruits and vegetables and less Blue Star Donuts. I need friends that will encourage me to continue to stop eating donuts and eat more vegetables and maybe get on the bike again. That's healthy. In the same way with our faith, it's helpful when we have brothers and sisters in the context of community stirring one another up, prodding one another along, really provoking one another in order to flesh this thing of faith out in practical everyday life. That's one of the reasons why I'm so stoked about the, the, the life group that we're starting up. And uh, Friday night was awesome. We had, I don't know how many couples uh, represented, but uh, the majority of you were in here in this room were there, um, which was really encouraging and uh, loved that about what God's doing in that context. But we see very clearly that there is a call for us to encourage one another, not just the pastor, not just YouTube, not just Christian media encouraging and exhorting one another, but we do see uh, this call to community. And so last week, we, we kind of culminated here in 1 Peter's 1 Peter chapter 4 in verses 7 and 9. My initial plan last week was to preach 1 Peter uh, 4, 7 through 11. And so we didn't get to verses 10 and 11, and that's where we're going to be heading this morning. Uh, but just for a little bit of review, last week we, we were in 1 Peter 4, 7 and 9, um, and we were in the NASB, the 1995 version of the NAS, NASB. Uh, just for clarity purposes there. This is what the Apostle Peter would say. He said, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And so we highlighted three particular instructions from the text that I'm just going to review very quickly here. The first of which we were talking about sobriety in prayer, to be sober in prayer. And I made note that you cannot be drunk in the world or with the cares of this world uh, and stay sober and stay alert and stay attentive in the place of prayer. And uh, we highlighted a little bit about that last week. And then we talk about just straight from this passage, we, we see this command to be fervent in love, to be uh, passionately affectionate for one another. This reminds me of the passage that Jesus would share in John 13, 35, where he says, by this, all people uh, will know that you are my disciples, that if you love 
uh, if you have love for one another. And this kind of love, we know, doesn't happen by accident. It requires, an, it requires intentionality. And I love the fact that uh, this kind of progression of scriptures here uh, lays out uh, some practical application on how to be intentional in that aspect. And it tells us to practice hospitality and to do it without complaining. Um, I really love it when Scripture encourages us practically, uh, gives us instruction to open up our homes, to be willing to be inconvenienced, to share a meal, and to meet the practical needs of our neighbors. That's, that's kind of where we, we, we put a pause on things last week, and we're going to pick up again in verses uh, 10 and 11. So again, in 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 10, it says, As each one has received a special gift... Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which uh, with God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so as we come to this passage, as we come to this text, I want to highlight this idea of a special gift that we receive. Um, I don't know if you guys have signed up for uh, a checking account or anything like that recently, but I was down at Bank of the San Juans, and that's where the church bank's at. If you ever go into the lobby of Bank of the San Juans, they always have a different promotional gift for signing up for a checking account. And it's always something like kind of lame. It's like, we'll give you like a free lawn chair or like a free, but it's, it's like the, the cheap, like uh, really like you look like you're going to sit in it and it's going to break. Or I, I think the last one that I saw was like a mini blender. And I was like, I could use a blender. Maybe I need another checking account kind of a deal. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you guys seen this? They, they send out like things in the mail. Well, uh, I realize this is a, ter- I'm about to equate the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit to like a lawn chair and a blender. Please understand that breaks down. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to say that uh, salvation is like a cheap uh, knockoff blender from China or something like that. That's definitely not what I'm getting at. But I want, to, I want you guys to grasp this concept of receiving a gift for just signing up for something. You know, this idea of signing up for a checking account and getting a free gift. I believe when we sign up to follow Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, when we repent and confess him as Lord, uh, there are some gifts that are automatically included in that package. Does that make sense? Yeah, we would actually consider salvation a gift. If you read Romans 6, 23, uh, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's, that's kind of like, a, that's like one of those free gifts that come with signing up for Jesus, would you please save me, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's good. Um, because what we're going to talk about here is the very degrees or, or the, very, the very differences amongst spiritual gifts. But what I want to establish is that as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we, we all have some of the basic. Uh, I don't want to say basic. That sounds terrible. Um, we all are, we're all given 
uh, the same gifts of salvation that we read about there in Romans 6.23. But if we read in Acts 2.38, this is a a beautiful promise of the Holy Spirit that we receive uh, when we repent and confess Jesus as Savior. It says in in Acts uh, chapter 2 verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And I want to I want to just be clear here I, as we talk about differences and unique giftings and callings. We are all on the same playing field as we were once dead in sin, we are now alive in Christ solely by the gift of God's grace. And we see that expressed with a gift of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life. But I like to I want to read verse 10 again uh, here in the NLT, and it says this, that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now, when we think about spiritual gifts, you may be like me, and automatically your mind begins to race, and you jump to passages uh, like 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12. Maybe you think Ephesians 4. Uh, There are Note it, there's, there's, uh, there's references to spiritual gifts or uh, uh, charismata, if you will, throughout the entire New Testament. And this is the word that Peter uses here in uh, 1 Peter 4.10. And if I was going to conduct a list, which I was doing earlier this week, I came to a little over 20 distinct references to spiritual gifts throughout the New Testament. And I think I could argue for 24 distinct uh, spiritual gifts, but I, I, I would struggle to use that word distinct because there's a little bit of overlap between some of them where they're a little bit similar. Uh, and I don't want you to worry. We're not going to like go through an exhaustive list of like 24 spiritual gifts. Welcome to like Nate's sermon series, part one of 24 or something like that. Um, there are a lot of those uh, in here. But I think when we approach spiritual gifts, this danger exists of thinking you'll only operate in areas that you're naturally gifted or you have tendency towards. And so I want to make this point here is that we need to strive to serve one another in every area and gifting on account of love. And in doing so, we'll begin to assess those areas that we're clearly gifted in. And... uh, maybe to bring some clarity to what I'm, I'm mentioning here, this doesn't mean that we neglect the areas that we're not gifted in. And I, I think to, to explain this, I was listening to uh, Dr. George Wood talk a little bit about spiritual gifts and uh, just thought he had great insight in this fact that not every person is going to be gifted uh, in terms of giving. If you read in Romans chapter 12, uh, there's an example given of a spiritual gift uh, called the gift of generosity. And it's this gift of giving that some people are equipped with. (laughs) Um, And in each one of these gifts that we mentioned, there are dimensions of that gift that are universal to all believers. To say some have the gift of giving does not mean others don't give. Does that make sense? I realize I was being really wordy with that, maybe not being ultimately clear. But if I say that you have a spiritual gift of giving, uh, that doesn't mean that the rest of us aren't uh, ever going to operate in a gift of giving or that we won't ever operate in giving. 
In the same way with teaching, uh, maybe not all of you will stand behind a microphone and teach a Bible class or, or stand up here on a Sunday morning and teach the scripture, but that doesn't mean you don't operate in teaching when it comes to teaching your children, right? Um, and so I just want to be clear here that just because there may be special grace upon someone's life to do something uh, um, maybe a, a little more productively or uh, proactively in terms of a spiritual gifting to do that doesn't give us the excuse for all of us to practice these gifts in serving one another. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some greater clarity to that here in just a minute. Uh, I wrote this, that there is universality in each one of the gifts, but there are gifts that have special application and refinement as we use them. When we're talking about spiritual gifts. And uh, you might be like, what is he talking about? Spiritual gifts. What are the spiritual gifts? Uh, again, I'm not going to exhaustively go through all of them, but I do want to mention some of them this morning, and we'll get to those in just a minute. But before we do that, 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that each one uh, receives a spiritual gift, right? I read that in the NLT. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And I want, I want to be uh, clear here. I take this to imply that all believers uh, receive gifting from the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. Our ability to serve and do good in any capacity is a gift from God. This dispels the idea that you have nothing or little to offer the community of God's people, regardless of your background, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of how colorful your past is. I need you to understand this, that you have something to offer the community of believers. And probably it is unique uh, to uh, your story and what you've gone through, because we all know nobody's gone through uh, gone through the same thing, right? We may have similar testimonies. We may have similar experiences, but your story is unique in all of God's creation and what God's done in your life. I believe the whole fellowship and community of believers benefits from. And so I, I don't necessarily know exactly how each one of you are gifted or how each one of you uh, will operate in different spiritual gifts. But I do know this, that the extension of God's grace in your life is needed to be, uh, if we're going to ever operate in spiritual maturity, if we're ever going to be a mature expression of God's church. Um, and so regardless of your background, your shortcomings, your education or lack thereof, God has specifically gifted you in such a way to benefit the body of Christ. And you have something that this community needs. And this community has something that you need. That's one of the beautiful things about uh, following Jesus that I've loved and I've come to express over the years uh, probably multiple times. But I have friends in this room right now that I would not have natural tendencies of being friends with. I always quick to point out Darwin because when I first came to Pagosa, there was nothing about me that was even remotely, uh, remotely something that would have connected me with Darwin. They made fun of me for the shoes that I wore. 
and the music that I listened to and the tattoos that I had and these things. And Darwin was on a completely different spectrum of being the wild mountain man, right? <laughs> uh, Jesus freak hippie kind of deal. And I was, I was over here just completely disconnected. We have a, a massive, not a massive, that, that's rude. We had a generational age gap. <laughs> I love you, Darwin. <laughs> I already said it. Yeah, it was bad. But really, really, I was a lot younger. You were younger then too, though, so it doesn't make... Anyway, uh, that, that math, I'm trying to save myself, but I'm just digging a hole here, aren't I? But the reality is, was there was not a lot that was connecting us, except for the fact that we had both encountered Jesus. And as he's invested in my life, he's invested in my life as a father, and I, I hope I've provided some encouragement to Darwin, and it's been reciprocated there, but uh, I am honestly at this place where uh, there has been friendship and community cultivated, and I realize there is wisdom that this man has that I desperately need. And I'm hoping there's been experiences that I've walked through that have provoked him. And he could honestly say, I need what this guy has to offer. And I'm not even talking about like in a pastoral relationship of me just being a pastor, being teaching the word of God or something like that, but just as a friend. And I think that that is a, a beautiful mark of community when we recognize that there are experiences that people have had that we can glean from. And that the grace of God evident in their life is something that can encourage one another. I don't know what your story is, but please do not discredit the importance of that in the context of community because I guarantee you the enemy would try to isolate you and make you feel like you're the only one that struggled with this. You're the only one that's walked through this and tried to beat you up over the head like you're just a pathetic loser in this regard. But the reality is there's probably someone that you know that could benefit from your story and the fact that you've walked through something as well. Does that make sense? I hope you guys can connect with that. I hope that that has some semblance of, uh, of, of help for somebody here. But the thing that I also notice about this is that these gifts are unique. They're special in this sense. They, uh, the, we understand that there is a variety of gifts that God gives his people. Please do not expect to be gifted in the exact same way as I am. <laughs> Trust me, if you guys were gifted with the same spiritual gifts that I'm gifted with, we would be a very immature expression of the body of Christ. It would be a, just, a, it'd just be a complete nightmare. And I think a lot of the times I struggled with this, uh, specifically with the mentors that I had and, and, and thinking that I was just going to be a spitting image and emulate these guys. And what they were called to was vastly different than what I feel my spiritual gifting is. And uh, please don't be afraid of the fact that God might gift you differently than he'll gift somebody else. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's less than. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, just because you're, you're, you may not have the gift of administration like me. You may not have the gift of, uh, you may not have the gift of teaching can I be honest? Uh, Joey over here, he very much has a gift of teaching. If you've heard him in Deeper Project and how the scriptures come alive to him and how he's able to communicate simple truths, uh, very, or very profound truths, very easily, that's awesome, man. Not everybody's going to be gifted in that same way. Um, and, and I want to encourage you, just because it's not your gifting doesn't mean you shouldn't strive to serve others in that context 
because you love them. But as you strive to serve others in the variety of contexts that we're going to mention here in the spiritual gifts, I believe you'll actually come to see where you're gifted. Does that make sense? And I, I think there are probably seasons where the grace of God is upon someone's life um, to be able to walk effectively in these gifts um, more so maybe than other times of life. I, I think just because you've always fallen into a category and you said, you know what, I'm just not gifted at teaching and that's just not my spiritual gift, doesn't mean that God still can't gift you with it. Just because maybe you took one of those spiritual gifting tests decades ago and you've didn't do very well on it at all because maybe you're bad at tests. Funny story, we all took uh, these, these tests that we found in a back closet when we were cleaning out a closet the staff did a number of years ago. It was a little bit bigger of a staff back then. And uh, we all found out that we, were, we all scored very low in exercising demons. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the spiritual gifts on that particular rubric. Um, and partially because the questions were like, have you ever had a demon audibly speak to you? And we're like, uh, no. And it was like, well, then you must not have the gift of, of casting out demons. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. Just because you haven't operated in a gift before does not mean that you are, uh, that, that maybe that, that gifting is not for you. And I just don't want you to uh, fall into this mentality that whatever, that God can't gift you more. That there may be like presets that you, anyway, I should get back to my notes. 1 Corinthians 12. <laughs> uh, beginning in verse 4, it says here that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Notice that, to each of us, so we can help each other. I want you to take note here that the spiritual gifts that we're encountering here are so we can help each other. And I think we, I think we can kind of miss that sometimes. I'm going to talk about it here in a second. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice or a word of wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives faith to another. And to someone else, that one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. So as we're talking about this, we're looking at this, we understand that the spiritual gifts are given to each of us so that we can serve one another. I need you to understand that spiritual gifting is not equated with spiritual maturity. It's not synonymous here. Especially within Pentecostal circles, we run into uh, people kind of operating in spiritual gifts, whether they're prophesying or maybe, uh, you know, they're, they're speaking out with tongues or an interpretation of tongues. And I, I think we can get this unhealthy mentality. I know I've encountered it where it's almost they're treated as more spiritual than someone else. 
And they get kind of the, the super spiritual card attached to them. Uh, and we, we kind of feel like maybe they've got to be a different level. You know, I'm a level two Christian, but that guy over there had a word of prophecy. So he's a level four Christian. And we equate maybe somebody operating in spiritual gifts as a sign of Christian maturity. Now, I definitely believe that the the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts can bring about spiritual maturity in a believer. And I'm not trying to say that that's not the case, but we can't equate the two. In fact, we look at the church in Corinth, which was, uh, by all expressions and definitions, a church that was not spiritually mature. They had a lot of issues. There was rampant immorality. Um, There was a lot of things that Paul needed to address. But it says there in 1 Corinthians uh, 1.7 that they weren't lacking in any spiritual gift. They were wildly Pentecostal, almost to a fault. In fact, to where Paul has to bring some clarity and some instructions on how, to, how the gifts should manifest and operate in the order of the church. And it's really awesome. But that doesn't mean that they were more spiritually mature, right? Um, and so I, I just don't want us to have an unhealthy viewpoint when we're thinking about the spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts are just that. They're gifts. They're not spiritual rewards. They're not just something that you earn based on merit. It's not like, oh, man, I've been a Christian 20 years and I've done put in my time and paid my twos and, you know, uh, put so much money in the offering. And now God can entrust me because I've been faithful and I've been consistent. Now he can entrust me to prophesy. Right? That's not how the spiritual gifts work. They are gifts given for, for us by God. But I want to submit this idea to you. It's not just for your refinement. It's not just for your spiritual advancement. It's actually when you begin to operate in spiritual gifts, I think, uh, one, you are refined, obviously. I believe you are matured. But they're actually for the purpose of helping others mature. And so this is where it's helpful for us to be in the context of community where everyone is operating in spiritual gifts because I need you to operate in how God's gifted you in order that I might be a more mature expression of who God wants me to be. In the same way, I need to be walking out, uh, I need to be walking out in spiritual gifts to admonish and encourage one another, uh, you guys, that you might be a more mature expression of who Jesus has called us to be. And so uh, I guess I'm skipping um, my points here, but my second point, so my first point was that each one, everyone, uh, regardless of your background, regardless of where you've been or what you've done, uh, I believe there is special, unique gifting from the Holy Spirit for you. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what that is. We've got tests that will probably tell you the wrong thing. I don't necessarily thinking like taking some online Facebook quiz is going to tell you exactly how you're spiritually gifted. I think you figure out how you're spiritually gifted and walking in love in all of these contexts and practicing all of these spiritual gifts. And you will notice which ones there is special grace for upon your life to actually do well. But we're supposed to do them all. Does that, does that make sense? I'm, I'm saying that. Uh, I'm saying that lightly here, uh, not lightly, I'm saying that cautiously here, um, that I think that 
when we read about spiritual gifts, I think when we're thinking about serving one another in spiritual giftings, that there is room for us to do that. Um, I realize there, there's probably a confusing statement that I hope will bring clarity as I continue on. But my second point here was that spiritual gifts are for one another. Again, 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Friends, I know people that speak in tongues and split churches. Right? I know that people that can uh, speak in tongues and then lie about you behind their back <laughs> or behind your back. Uh, we've, I've seen that. I've experienced that. And if you're gifting is not benefiting the community of God's people, I believe one of two things is happening. One, it's not a legitimate spiritual gift. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're practicing it and you're operating in it, but it's not actually bringing about, uh, it's not bringing about fruitful community. It's not actually encouraging. It's not actually uplifting. It's not actually exhorting one another. It's not building one another up. And I'm not saying that it can't be correction, but if, if that's not what's happening when you're operating in a spiritual gift, I do not believe it's legitimate. I believe that that comes from a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. And I, I just, I'd caution you with that. But this, the second one, uh, the second thing that could be happening, and this is where I think most people fall, is that you're just simply not putting it into practice. If your spiritual gift is not benefiting the community of God, it's probably because you're not actually putting it into practice. Now, this does not fall squarely upon your shoulders because I believe, honestly, our, our, uh, our expression of church here in the West, um, kind of our modern evangelical demonstration of what church looks like, of where you show up for maybe two hours a week and you kind of sit down, you sing songs, and the only interaction we have is maybe waving to somebody or our three-minute, which is evidently extremely long, time of fellowship that we have in the middle of our service. Um, and there's just simply not a lot of room for spiritual gifts to serve one another in the context of how churches mostly encountered for the majority of people. Does that make sense? That's why a big push, and that's why the main theme of what I've been getting at for the last number of weeks is the necessity of community. It's not just the necessity of you being here on Sunday morning, which I believe is important. I believe this time is sacred. This is important. I'm not trying to diminish what God does here on Sunday morning, but actually being invested in one another's lives beyond just the scheduled activity of a church on a Sunday. You know, we do our best to have things that are intentional to provide room for us where we can practice these, uh, make room for these spiritual gifts in the context of, you know, deeper project and small groups and prayer on Wednesday nights. But even beyond that, I believe that there is a genuine call to investment in, in actually being a community, in being engaged in one another's lives on a deeper level than just us going to the same church. And so with all that being said, um, I believe that almost all of the spiritual gifts are for the building up of one another. I say almost all, I believe all of them are. We do know that Paul says when one prays in, in a tongue that he edifies himself, right? And so I don't want to say that there's not uh, any room for self-edification in practicing the spiritual gifts. Um, 
Just wanted to make note of that. But we're not talking about a pastor building you up. We're not talking about me with a microphone back here trying to build you up or encourage you or admonish you here. Uh, what is in fact a gift... Um, Wow, I should not read my notes if I don't type them out correctly. Um, we're not just talking about a pastor here, right? Which, if we read Ephesians chapter 4, we know pastors, apostles, teachers. Those are actually gifts that God gives to the church to equip the saints for ministry. So that's, that is a spiritual gift if you want to get technical there. But in the context of what we're reading in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, we do see uh, every believer receiving a gift and serving one another. So the context of the scripture here that we're talking about here is God equipping you so that you can demonstrate and be a good steward of God's grace in ministering to one another. And that's what the New King James Version uses. It doesn't say serve one another. It actually uses this term minister to one another, which is just semantics. But I don't know if a lot of the times we understand that the word ministry is uh, simply to serve. <laughs> Uh, when we say, oh, I'm called to ministry, I'm called to serve the body of Christ. When you're ministering to one another, it's to serve one another. Um, obviously, uh, there's, we go all the way down that, but Jesus modeled this, right? As the servant king. If you read in Luke chapter 22, you don't need to turn there, but there's an argument amongst the disciples about who's the greatest, who's the best, who's the most spiritually mature. And it's, is it the one that's most spiritually gifted? No, Jesus says, uh, no, uh, to become the greatest, you have to be the least. And he, he, he expresses this whole theology on actually coming to serve, a king who comes to serve, and that the requirement for us would be that we would serve, uh, that we'd be known as servants. And so that brings us into the, the next thing I want to talk about, which is being a good steward. You see, stewardship is a lost term, is it not? It's not something, we don't really have stewards anymore. Um, you guys are probably familiar with it. Um, but a steward just isn't exactly a common thing in our culture. Uh, a steward would typically involve, especially in, as we read about it in a biblical context, would involve a wealthy master that had a lot of property, that had a lot of resources, and he needed those things managed. So he'd find a faithful person, a faithful servant, and he would basically give all of his authority, all of his resources, all of his uh, property over to the steward to manage it for him because he trusted that steward's judgment. Now, it wasn't just saying, hey, you can just have everything, just do what you want, which a lot of the times I, I think uh, we, we might be confused about somewhat. Um, a steward was all about making sure that he was using the resources that were entrusted to him, his master's property, his master's money, his own time to make best use of what his master had entrusted him. And it was all about making sure that the will of the master was conducted, not the will of the steward. So stewardship, friends, is not the equivalent of making good financial decisions. A lot of the times, our, our mindset goes straight to money when we're talking about being uh, a good steward. In fact, it's actually one of our, uh, it's one of our pillars of partnership, 
I, I just, I don't think I've ever called them pillars of partnership before, but we have four areas of commitment when we, uh, when you become a member or a partner of Open Door Church, like an official capacity, uh, which we should probably talk about that sometime soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, there are four areas that we ask you to commit to, and one of them is to stewardship. And a lot of people think that we're talking about money, and they're like, oh, this is the part where they want to make sure we pay our tithes and we pay our offerings and, and we do this thing. And I definitely think that that's a healthy aspect of stewardship, but it's more than just our money. It's more than just making good financial decisions. It's having the mentality that everything I have, everything that I've been given, has been given for a purpose. A good steward isn't just making logical choices with their master's resources, but they're always asking the question, am I doing my master's will and am I accomplishing my master's purpose? And so every follower of Jesus, and this is what I wrote, is a steward of spiritual gifts and material goods to make known the eternal gospel. And I, I believe this, a good steward is going to use those gifts to serve one another, which we know is the master's will. And so when we read this passage of scripture again, when we look at 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so what are we stewarding here? In this context, we're stewarding, stewarding the manifold grace, the varied grace, the different facets of God's grace. And who are we stewarding it towards? One another. The grace of God is demonstrated when we minister to one another, when we serve one another. And I, I think that the healthiest way to think about this is that God has done something good in your life, right? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the grace of God. Everybody here can attest to the fact that God has done something good in your life. If you have professed faith in Jesus, you can say God has done something good. And as a result of that extraordinary thing that God has done in your life, the evidence that he's done something is that we would by that is that we would by extension do good in others. We that we would serve others with the same with out of the same motivation of what God did inside of us. And that's what we see here fleshed out in this verse is that God has done something miraculous, this gift of grace that we've encountered, that we've experienced it. And if we're going to be good stewards of that gift of salvation that God has done in us, then we ought to see it manifest in the way that we serve one another. I find that to be remarkably profound.
I've often heard the sentiment expressed. I just want more of you, Jesus. And I say that a lot. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, uh, I want more spiritual gifting. I want God to speak to me. I want God to do something in some sort of context. But they've never actually, and they're wondering why God's not speaking. And they're wondering why God's not moving. They're wondering why God's not doing something in their life or why he's not answering a prayer, why he's not giving a particular thing. And a lot of the times, I believe it comes back to the fact that they have not been a good steward of what God had done previously. And I I share this sentiment in, in this sense is that we can't continue to come before God and ask him to do something, ask him to gift us, ask him to empower us when we've not been faithful with the last thing that we asked him to do. And I Obviously, I believe he's gracious. I believe he's merciful. I'm not trying to, uh, to box us in here. But I, I heard a little British missionary uh, share this story. And it was just, maybe it was just uh, how jarring of a thing that she shared that it stuck in my mind. But her name's Jackie Pullinger. She's awesome, awesome, uh, awesome woman of the Lord. Uh, when she was like 16 or 17, maybe she was 18, she left England and got on a boat. Her pastor said, oh, you want to be a missionary? We'll just buy a one-way ticket around the world and see how far you can go and get off where God tells you to stop. And she wound up in the walled city in Hong Kong, ministering to drug addicts and prostitutes in the walled city. A phenomenal, awesome story. But she, she was very proper. You know, British people, they're, they're like that. They're, they're pretty proper, uh, at least. And so when I'm listening to her speak, it was just jarring for me to hear her tell a room full of, of, uh, of people that I believe that you are spiritually constipated <laughs> is the language that she used. She says, you keep asking God for more and more and more and more and more, but nothing's flowing out. And I realize you're all like, why did you just share that, Nate? <laughs> like, you didn't need to share that. But the reality of it is, is I believe much of the church is like that. We ask God to do something. We want God to bless us. We want him to give us gifts, but we never actually employ what he's done in our life to the context of what he wants us to do. And so what I'm, what, what I'm trying to get at is here is I believe that each one of us have, has received a spiritual gift. I believe that he has gifted us. I believe that he has done something in our life and we are doing an injustice when we're not employing it uh, in serving one another, when we're not looking for opportunities to serve, when we're not looking for needs that need to be met in one another's lives. This isn't me trying to get you to sign up like on the church list so you come clean the church or something like that or do nursery. If you want to, you can. But I'm really talking about the, the level of engagement when we're, when we're involved and when we're invested in each other's lives. And so the way that I would like to end this morning is with Paul's encouragement, because maybe, maybe I showed that out of context. Um, don't stop asking God to fill you. <laughs> don't stop asking God to move. But I do want us to be conscious, are we actually doing something with what he's already done? Because he has spoken, he has ministered, he's done a work in your life, and he's done a work in your heart, and he has endued you with power from the Holy Spirit, And that should provoke us to actually doing something. And I believe we need to be 
be intentional about using what God's already done in our lives to the benefit of others. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 14 to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And he'd go on and he'd say, above all, uh, you, should, you should seek to prophesy. And he talks about how prophecy is, is one that will um, build up and encourage others. And I think that fits so perfectly into uh, verse 11 of First Peter here. I'm just going to mention this very quickly because he says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances or the oracles of God. And so I see that here, uh, I, I, I kind of see that almost as a, a good description of prophecy, right? When we're prophesying, we're speaking forth the oracles of God. But it, I love how he goes on here, uh, Peter does in, in, chapter, in verse 11 of 1 Peter 4. He says, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. I don't know about you, but there are those days where it just seems impossible for me to meet the needs of, of certain people. <laughs> and this is where it, it comes to of great importance that we're eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts, that we're actually asking God for them. We're asking for more of the Holy Spirit. We're asking for God's supply because you will not be able to serve others. You will not be able to minister to others in your own strength. Because I don't care how strong, how awesome you are, your compassion will eventually fade. Your ability to meet other people's needs is uh, pathetic <laughs> compared to the overwhelming, empowering grace of God. And so we see here that if we're to serve, we're to serve in the strength which God supplies. And all of this is so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.